The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you know what I'm going to say. You're in the right place because it's true. If you're a fan of Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, you're keeping track. We're up to episode 218. We started the show in October 2011, and look how time flies. So let me get started. What? Talking about time. The buzz today? Time's up. What is she talking about? Well, let's look at a Reuters headline from just a week ago, February 9th, 2016. And the headline was, President Obama is seeking more than 33% increase in U.S. cybersecurity funding. I won't go into the whole article, but the gist is cyber criminals are brazen. They're bold. They're energetic. They're smart. They're out there. And guess what? They're invading the entire supply chain and they're we know this, stealing and misrepresenting individuals' data, but they're misrepresenting health data. And there's a fear now that if not tackled, cybercrime may cost lives. Hey, this is beyond having your ID stolen. This is maybe having your life stolen. So we really need to tackle this. But this problem goes beyond your IT team. It's not just a tech problem anymore. These threats are so dangerous, so present, that they're keeping top leaders in business, in finance, in politics, uh uh-huh, and government agencies awake at night. What are we going to do? So today we're going to look at some ways that your business, your industry, your domain can try to lock out the cyber criminals. And part of our discussion will revolve around the life sciences and automotive industries as examples. Everybody wants to know, how are they doing it? What can I do? What advice? What guidance can you give me? Well, hopefully we'll give you some. We have a stellar panel today, three experts who are going to share their insights, their advice, their point of view, their expertise, their experiences. So sit back for the next hour. First up on the panel, I'm so pleased to welcome Tim Best, B-E-S-T. He is a director in Ernst & Young, that's EY's EMEA Advisory Services Practice, the Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, and that's why he's here. And Tim has sent me an interesting quote from Marshall Berman. Those of you scratching your heads, who is Marshall Berman? Well, he passed away in 2013 at the age of 72. He was known as the Marxist Mensch, if that tells you anything. He's best known for his book, All That Is Solid Melts Into Air, The Experience of Modernity, published in 1982, and uh, he's a product of the Bronx High, Bronx High School of Science and alumni of Columbia University. He got 
got a bachelor's in literature from Oxford. He completed a PhD at Harvard, and he worked at City College of New York until his death. But what may be most interesting to anybody in New York listening is that he had a favorite diner in New York at Broadway and 100th Street called the Metro Diner. And unfortunately, he suffered a heart attack while he was eating there. What can I tell you? So there's a little New York story. So here's the quote. To be modern is to find ourselves in an environment that promises us adventure, power, joy, growth, transformation of ourselves and our world. And at the same time, that threatens to destroy everything we have, everything we know, everything we are. Tim Best, what a powerful quote. Welcome, Tim. How are you today? I'm good, Bonnie. And uh, yeah, it is powerful, isn't it? What an interesting quote. Very. Um, I really like it. I think that it speaks, although it's, a nine, it's from the 1980s, I think this quote really speaks uh, to us today about, um, about the Internet and uh, the Internet of Things and how um, household items, uh, production lines in factories are all being connected to the Internet. And they're being connected to the Internet, which provides us with tremendous opportunities to... Um, to transform, to um, to gain insights into de- how devices are being used, which enhances further product development, makes our lives much better, much more convenient. But there is a but here. And if we forget mm-hmm. to build in good cybersecurity practice into whatever it is we're attaching to the Internet, then uh, it does, you know, it is a potential there to threaten and destroy everything that we have and everything we know and everything we are. Tim, are you a big fan of Marshall Berman? Is he somebody that you've read or followed, or do you just happen to find the quote? Because it's very powerful, as we said. Yeah, this is funny, actually, how I came across it. No, I'm not um, a fan of Marshall Berman. <laughs> really don't know much more about him than you've than you said today. So we had a good opening, a very powerful quote. Richard McCammon is our second panelist. He's a CEO at Delego Software. Uh, Richard has been on several of our Game Changers shows before on this topic, cybersecurity, cybercrime. And Richard has sent me an interesting quote as well from Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was the 34th president of the U.S. between 1953 and 61, seems so far long ago. He was a five-star general in the U.S. Army in World War II and served as Supreme Commander of the Allied Forces in Europe. And I remember vaguely, I don't know how I remember because I was barely alive, in spring 1951, Richard, do you remember this? Republican admirers used the slogan, I like Ike, because they wanted him in the White House. So here's the quote. We will bankrupt ourselves in the vain search for absolute security. Richard McCammon, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So, yeah, the the quote's an interesting one because the, uh, you know, Considering that this was spoken many, many years ago, it uh, it really speaks to what we're trying to accomplish these days. And yes, I do remember the the expression um, trying to get Mr. Eisenhower elected. I wasn't alive when he was being elected, but it certainly had staying power as well. So the quotation is is I think exceedingly important as we we discuss cybercrime because as Mr. Best pointed out earlier, everything we're doing is coming more and more online. We're getting more Internet activity. We're seeing the Internet of everything. Um, things are getting into uh, virtually everything that we're, we've, we're touching these days 
are now elements of the Internet. And we're also relying on that Internet to provide us a lot more information, but also to control each of our lives. Um, recently in the automotive industry, we've been watching cars as they drive themselves from destination to destination, and all that based on not only the Internet, but also uh, global positioning systems. So as we, we look to these sorts of things and how they're affecting us, the, the bottom line is that security is going to be paramount in all of this. And we can't emphasize that enough, but equally, on the other side, if we try to accomplish absolute security, it is going to be so costly, it will ultimately bankrupt us. And so there has to be a balance in what we're trying to accomplish between the cost and the benefits that we're going to see from that. Richard, thank you. You know, one word jumps out at me in this quote. We will bankrupt ourselves in the vain search. And I see this as having perhaps, excuse me, a double entendre, vain meaning we're so vain as to think that we can find absolute security, which we know is impossible, and vain meaning it's in vain, it's impossible no matter how hard you try. Do you think there might have been a little bit of both there or just the in vain? I hadn't thought of it that way, Bonnie, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the... Uh, we we can't we can't think of ourselves as being so smart that we're going to be outsmarting all of the, the cyber criminals that are out there. As I said in other shows, I think we're doing well if we're only one step behind the criminals. Um, we we can't be up with them. They're they're actually smarter than we are, and they're looking for ways to to break in. So I think the the, the vanity is is a big part of that. Thank you. I, I just happened to, the word just jumped out at me, Richard, and I thought, you know, with cybercrime, there has to be a sense of their vanity versus our vanity. Who's going to win that battle? Thank you so much, Richard, and welcome back. And now I'd like to introduce our third panelist. It's Justin Somani, S-O-M-A-I-N-I. He heads the SAP Global Security Unit in the Board Area of Products and Innovation. And Justin has sent me a very interesting quote, very interesting. We're going to smile on this one from Ernest Hemingway, who passed away in 1961. Anybody want to know? Well, if anybody's really young out there, Hemingway, his original name was Ernest Miller Hemingway. He's an American novelist, short story writer, journalist, and his economical and understated style, I'm reading this from Wikipedia, had a strong influence on 20th century fiction, while his life of adventure and his public image influenced later generations. He's known for The Old Man in the Sea, For Whom the Bell Tolls, but what's interesting is he won so many prizes, including the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1954. His work was epic. Uh, he had four wives. So talk about his life of adventure and his public image. I think he was definitely out there having it. And here's a very interesting quote. Here we go. Always do sober what you said you do drunk. That will teach you to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Justin, so many. How am I going to get through this? Welcome, Justin. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. And, oh. uh, yeah, that quote speaks uh, to me in, in multiple <laughs> levels. One, uh, I've been known to have a drink. Uh, I'm sure I've done something questionable under the influence of alcohol. And, uh, you know, I talk a lot. So, uh, so all three of those things resonate. Now, quite honestly, I, I think in an industry full of fear and hyperbole, mm -hmm. uh, level heads and really a calm approach is really necessary and needed by all of us in order to make sure that we're focused on the right problems at the right time uh, with the right solutions. 
Justin, tell me something. Uh, is cybercrime as threatening to lives, to human lives, as I mentioned in my opening? Is that your view? Is that your experience? How close are we to having it happen? And I just, a side note, I'm a fan of some of the CSI franchise on TV, the procedurals. <laughs> and uh, there's a CSI Cyber, which you have to watch on Sunday nights if you can get through The Good Wife, which is ending soon. And they just did one on uh, cyber criminals. It was cyber assassins for hire. And they would steal the identity. In fact, they would create a fake death certificate for people who were witnesses in federal trials so that the witnesses could not be part of the trial because they no longer existed as human beings. And then they would arrange, that would make a clear path for somebody to murder the witnesses because they were no longer have any kind of protection and they couldn't show up in court. So they were trying to drive the point home. It was very scary. So what's your thought, Justin? Is it really that bad or is it just fiction? I think there's uh, a wave coming at us. Um, not a big wave, but a slow increase wave uh, where cyber and physical harm uh, is actually taking effect, whether it's an Internet of Things uh, as it gets to critical infrastructure and having a devastating event that could be a loss of life. Uh, we can look at Stuxnet and the Iranian uh, reactors as one example. Um, but it's really on the fringes of what we call cybersecurity. It's, it's really the small subset amount of situations and individuals and requires significant effort in order to accomplish. It's definitely possible, but it's probably a little bit out of the probability for the vast majority of malicious individuals out there. Having said that, if mm -hmm. we don't deal with this issue, the pervasiveness of technology into uh, physical and critical infrastructure, airplanes, etc., as it pronounces and moves forward, I think this fringe becomes more commonplace, and that's the dangerous situation. But that's for the future versus today. Okay, thank you. And I'm thinking also, going back to my pulling out the word vain, the vain search for absolute security from the quote Richard gave us from Dwight D. Eisenhower. Uh, again, back to the vanity of the cyber criminals. We hope they don't get bored, don't we, Justin? Bored enough to say, well, let's move this up. Let's step this up a little, do something a little more dangerous. So let's hope that that is off in the future at a future time where we can prevent it from happening. So thank you, Justin. And I understand that Tim Best is back on the line. Tim, welcome back. And uh, Tim, your quote again was, was wonderful. Tim, I'm going to ask you, I think we need this part of the show right now. What's in your cup today? What are you planning to drink after the show? What do you have in front of you now? Or hey, it's only February. Anything really interesting you had on New Year's Eve you'd like to share with us? Go ahead, Tim. Um, right now, I'm drinking something pretty boring. I'm drinking English breakfast tea. Um, but I'm speaking to you in Europe, from Europe, brother, and it's um, time now is quarter past five or so local time here. So English breakfast tea is probably the wrong type of day to drink, to drink the tea. Um, but I made it with a, in a machine um, in the office here, which uh, I don't think is on the Internet. I don't think it's an IoT device, but it could <laughs> okay. be. <laughs> um, and given it's the evening here, I'm probably going to have a glass of wine afterwards, I think, uh, okay. when I get back to the hotel. Now we yeah. want to know, what what kind of wine will Tim Best be drinking after? It depends what the hotel have got, really. Um, probably something New World, so something Australian or South African. I would Sounds look for, interesting. I think. Red or white? Uh, red. 
Okay. I had a feeling. Okay, good. Thank you very much. And Richard McCammon, where are you today? I think you're in Germany. That's what a little birdie told me. And what are you drinking? Well, actually, you've got quite the international crowd today. I mean, Sweden, we do. Germany. But I think two people from Germany, um, if I'm going to guess where Mr. Somali is from. The, uh, yeah, I'm in Munich today. So I arrived uh, early this morning from, uh, from London, my London, Canada. And uh, tonight, I think, with dinner with some colleagues tonight, uh, it, I believe it's the time of year for Bach beer. So I think uh, uh, good dark Bach beer is in is in order for tonight uh, tonight's dinner. Because of course, this is the, the the time of Lent, and that's one of the occasions in the in the time of uh, the calendar when Bach beer is very popular. So I'm going to go on the hunt for uh, a good Bach beer. And what is Bach beer? Bach beer is, it, well, um, traditionally, the, uh, I'm not much of a brewmaster, but as I understand it, um, Bach beer used to be a way of cleaning out all the, uh, the pipes and the dregs so, uh, <laughs> so you could get the next run going. So you've got just a very flavor possible in the beer. Well, that sounds interesting. I just looked it up. You know me, Richard. The others don't. Uh, Bach is a strong lager of German origin. Several sub-styles exist, including Malbach, that's not Malbec, Hellerbach, Hellsbach, a paler, more hopped version generally made for consumption at spring festivals. We have the Doppelbach, <laughs> like Doppelbach, Doppelbach. We have the stronger and maltier version, and Elsbach, a much stronger version made by partially freezing the beer and removing the ice that forms. Originally a dark beer, a modern bark can range from light copper to brown in color. It's very popular with many examples brewed internationally. There we go. Is that the one? Yes? Well, I, I believe the one that uh, I'm going to be searching for is, is referred to as the Lentenbier. And, okay. and my German is terrible, so I, I apologize <laughs> for Well, we'll just say drink up in good health. There we go. Thank you. And Justin Somani, I think you're in the U.S. today. And what are you drinking? What are you thinking about drinking, Justin? Well, no, those are two very different things. Absolutely. Uh, right now, I'm drinking coffee, um, trying to wake up as it's early morning. However, if I was in Europe, there's no question. I'm a bit of a rambunctious mood, so I would absolutely go down the Scotch path, maybe an Oban, Lafroy, or Qua Isle, uh, something to really put some hair in my chest. <laughs> well, that's a picture we can deal with. Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Well, we have a good drinking crowd here. We are talking about a very serious topic. We've already introduced it with three good quotes from our panelists. I'm speaking today with Tim Best, a director in EY's EMEA Advisory Services Practice, Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, and with Richard McCammon, CEO at Delego, D-E-L-E-G-O Software, and Justin Somani, who heads the SAP Global Security Unit in the board area of products and innovation. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. They only let me drink water on radio show days. No caffeine for me. But Richard, I have a new Nespresso and I'm drinking about four cups of Espresso Nespresso with 1% milk and it's delicious. Every day it's a number seven on the scale and it's just fabulous, but not before the radio show. So you're okay with me. Our topic today is Beyond IT, your fight against cybercrime, because it's everybody's job. It may be keeping your IT department Department awake at 
tonight, your CEO, your government agencies, even the politicians who are fighting so hard to get heard today, at least in the U.S. and probably around the world. It's important. So we have some interesting insights coming up. We hope they'll be of value to you and your colleagues. We're going to take a very brief break. So you know what I love to say. Don't even think of touching that app, that mouse, that dial. Justin, my engineer, we have two Justins today. Take us out and we'll be back in 60 seconds. Okay. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we're back talking about cybercrime beyond IT. What are you going to do about it? Does it really matter? Of course it does. Is it going to affect you? Yes, it will. Not if. But when? I think we've established that today and on our previous shows about cybersecurity. First up on the roundtable, I'm going to kick it off with some notes from Tim Best at EY. And Tim, let's talk about the Global Information Security Survey findings EY did. Uh, let me just give a little intro here. The survey looks at the experiences of more than 1,700 senior executives and investigates the most important cybersecurity issues facing business today. One key point I want to introduce. 88% of companies do not believe their information security fully meets their organization's needs. That's a wow. Tim Best, tell us more, please. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, yeah, it's an interesting finding, right? 88% mm. of companies don't, do not believe their information security fully meets their organization's needs. So looking at this, looking at this statement, um, we've done some investigation, um, particularly around the life sciences and an automotive industry. And what we found is that uh, in both of those um, industries, they are looking to get much closer to, to the patient, to the payer and the provider within, within life sciences. And, and also in automotive, the, the organization is looking much closer to the driver or the consumer of the vehicle. And they're using IoT and technologies to do that, to understand the needs of the patient to help them through their life. Uh, there's a, within life sciences, there's a, um, 
there's a, a general move towards payment beyond the pills. This is where you get payment by outcomes, so improving the life of a patient rather than just getting paid for the pill. And of course, in order to do that, you need to get insight into the the organization, the individuals' lives, and uh, how to improve them: their fitness levels, what they eat, their sleep patterns, their stress levels, etc. And the same for automotive is getting closer to the user of the vehicle, um, understanding when the vehicle's being used, um, where it's being driven to and from, um, at what speeds, and what facilities they're using within the car, and these all go into improving the, the range of products and services around the car. All of that needs data. And IoT provides, provides that data. Of course, um, with those technologies comes new vulnerabilities. And what we're thinking that 88% statement means is that um, the businesses, the research and development, the innovation, the marketing functions within the life sciences and, and automotive organizations, they are marching ahead and developing new products and services, whilst the information security function in these organizations is generally still focused on the back office systems and not quite up to speed with the development that's happening out there. So is this keeping them awake at night or are they just happy to tell you about it and do nothing? Is this something they're really doing anything about, Tim? It is, absolutely. Um, a lot of um, effort is going into improving cybersecurity within organizations, transforming um, how they um, are able to not simply protect themselves from, um, uh, from, uh, from the bad guys, so keeping the bad guys outside of the organization, but actually being much better um, at recognizing when they're under attack, having instant response plans in place so that when um, an incident that does happen, they know how to communicate with the press, they know how to communicate with the staff, they know how to isolate that particular infected device and, uh, and, and then learn from that to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Um, but I think, as, uh, as I've heard um, already on this, on this uh, program a little bit earlier on, you know, it's very difficult to stay one step ahead of the bad guys. Uh, generally, you are um, you know, a couple of steps behind. And... Um, yeah, these, it's, it's difficult out there. Thank you. Vanity notwithstanding, Richard McCammon, love to have you comment on what Tim introduced. Yeah, the, the fear that I have in all of this is the, um, and you know, I came out of the, the, the payment card industry, so I'm more familiar with that industry than, say, the health or automotive industries, but that's, I think the parallels are also there. The, the problems come is that, uh, as Tim was saying, that, Companies are looking more and more at what they do to remediate the problems, but unfortunately, the experience that I've had is that that is the, absolutely the last thing that companies think about. They, they worry about you know, uh, making sure that the equipment that they've got is protected, that the cybersecurity points are there, that people can't hack into the chips that are being installed in the Internet of Things, that uh, there are, there, all of those processes are in place, but the one big thing that people forget about is what happens to remediate the problem when it does occur. And uh, mm. it will occur. That's what we're seeing is that uh, breaches happen. Uh, people break into the, the, the chips. They can then either gather the data, which is innocuous in itself. I mean, the, those data can be used and probably illegally in some ways. 
in the payment card industry taking over that, in the healthcare industry potentially getting medical records, getting at people's uh, personal information. But more importantly, as was demonstrated recently on the California highways, people are now being able to hack in and take mm-hmm. control over things, automobiles, for instance. And in one scary situation, they took over a, a vehicle and drove it down the highway and, and were causing it to break in the middle of the highway. Um, it, it's not so much the fear of getting the information and gaining the information, although that has, uh, has its own ramifications, but I think what we're introducing now is our control elements, things that will actually perform either on their own or based on commands that are given remotely. And that's, that's the real fear that I've got in, in the cybersecurity world right now. Thank you. Justin Somany, love to have your POV here. What do you think? Sure. Yeah. No, um, I've been doing security for about 20 years. And when you look at the uh, information security realm over that period and probably moving forward, it's actually amazingly astonishing about how significant the ramp up of skill sets and required needs that we've had in the industry. So 20 years ago, security was, let me have a, a firewall. And then it became, how do I drive into antivirus and vulnerability scans? And then it became, stocks came out. So now we have to deal with compliance at deeper process levels, where it was there before, but then it kind of matured into the industry. And then it rolled out into, how do I influence culture change? And then it gets into legal effects when you start dealing with law enforcement and doing concerted takedowns of botnets and task force, and how do I relate to outside legal counsel, law enforcement, PR agencies, and then it's how do I present a board-leaning view of security for our customers and brand and inject it into the sales cycle, and what is the funnel aspects in regards to how I deal with security in my organization. So the skill sets have been shockingly significant um, year over year. So it's, to me, of course, a business would say we're not really sure if our current security capabilities is meeting our business needs because we have matured so dramatically over the past 20 years it's almost impossible for any organization to ramp up like that. And it's going to continue. Mm-hmm. As you see technical waves such as mainframe to client server to client cloud and then Internet of Things, which really change the implications and implementations of our security controls that might not necessarily be there in the outsets of those technologies, we have gaps in how we meet them. And so I'm not really sure I agree with the fact that we corporations don't have a response to incidents. Actually, I would say it's quite the opposite. We typically have a response to incidents to clean them up, but very rarely do we have the capabilities, especially with new technologies, to actually address the issue before it actually becomes released into a product or service as it goes into uh, the customer's hands, especially when we talk about Internet of Things and newer technologies. And so it's, it's a challenging issue, but it's, it's one that's going to continue for at least the next 30, 40 years as the overall technology innovation wave continues. 
Interesting, Justin. I, I want to get uh, Tim's and Richard's comments on what you just added, but but my question to you is: if we look at the profile of the cyber criminals, uh, the the cyber guys and gals who are out there, they are staying one step ahead. They are looking to the future. They are looking for new inroads and loopholes and and these teeny tiny openings that they can go and make an intrusion. So they're looking ahead and we're looking at cleaning up. Do you think that will change or is that going to take 30 or 40 years for the mentality to, to switch in the inside of the companies to what's happening outside? Any thoughts on that, Justin? Absolutely. Um, let's take a look at a different industry, bank robberies. That's been going around for what, that's an years? industry. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's, that's, well, <laughs> the way you said the way you said it, I loved it. The, uh, the industry bank, I, I actually very very well put. I'm I'm teasing you, Justin. Go ahead. <laughs> I, you know, had bank robbery stopped? No, no. Um, we've gotten better at defending them. They've been around for a long, long time, and obviously, financial institutions look at the problem in regards to risk reward. Um, and, and, and quite honestly, that's going to be the same thing with every security aspect, whether it's physical, we deal with terrorism, uh, criminal breaking and entering in buildings, it still mm -hmm. occurs regardless of the defenses that we put together. The question is, what is that balance between defensive capabilities uh, and the risk of what you're trying to protect? Well put. Thank you very much. Tim Best, want to get your, your thoughts here. We've talked about a lot since you opened the roundtable. What do you think? Well, we're seeing... Um, an increased expenditure by organizations into what we refer to as operational security. So this is the, the ability organizations have to um, recognize that they are under attack. So they're monitoring their, their networks, they're monitoring the activities within the organization. Um, in many cases, monitoring the touch points with suppliers and, and other elements of the ecosystem. Um, but it is difficult weeding out the false positives and having response procedures to be able to uh, respond appropriately uh, with often limited information that you have available. Um, and I'd also like to pick up on another comment from, from Justin, mm -hmm. another point that he made is about the skill sets required. Um, given the, the growth in the Internet of Things and, and what we're seeing being connected to the Internet and anticipating the future, um, the, the skill sets and embedded systems um, are what we're seeing that we need out there at the moment. So we need people with knowledge of embedded systems to be able to, um, to help secure them. Um, and this is a whole new area for, for the cybersecurity industry to, to learn about new technologies. And we, we come from a, a, sort of a, a mainframe client-server, um, corporate network background, majority of us. And all of a sudden, we're now looking at embedded systems that go into vehicles and other, other devices. So a whole new set of skills that we need to acquire. Um, and another point I think it's worth making is that um, when you're looking at trying to secure some of these, the new devices that are going on, onto, the, uh, onto the internet. So let's just choose the vehicles, cars, for want of a better example. The typical life, cy the life cycle for a car in development, a new vehicle platform, um, is seven years. So seven years from the initial idea, perhaps a, a workshop amongst some engineers about, and designers thinking about a new car concept to it being on the road. Okay, seven years. So all of the um, safety 
and all of the systems built into the car take over seven years. Now, within that, within that seven-year period, you think of all the technology leaps and changes that we, we experience okay, over that. So the automotive manufacturer have to build within that seven-year period, that window, they have to build in sort of rapid application development windows, if you like, and have lots of these new technology innovation opportunities to build in the latest technology or what they anticipate to be coming out in the future, what's possible, what the innovation, research and development functions are developing, and make sure that those get built into the car platforms. Now, managing all of this from a cybersecurity perspective is, is, is a real headache for these organizations. Thank you very much. And you throw I'm in going... the fact there's no one with any of the skills, yep. limited skills, and it just compounds the problem. And we might have to do another show on how we get those skills into the workforce. Thank you very much. I'm going to move on to something new. I'm looking at Richard McCammon's notes here, and here's something interesting, Richard. First of all, uh, you, one statement. I'll just put this on the table. Cybercrime is not, will not, and cannot be eliminated. It can only be reduced. We'll just leave that there. Now, here's the point I'd like to make. You say authentication and authorization are often confused. They're very different, and they must be treated differently to prevent prevent cybercrime. Richard, I'd love for you to tell us what that all means, and then we'll have your co-panelists respond. Go ahead. Well, let's start with the definitions so we we get a baseline here. Uh, Authentication is all about proving who you are, And, and that's a question that I've always been fascinated by. You know, how do we determine that you are you? Um... You know, we, we've gone through and we're using biometrics now. We've, before that, we've used passwords and user IDs. And we've gone through a whole scale. Uh, in many industries now, we're using two- and three-factor authentication. In other words, we're using something you know, something you have, and something you are. So the, the something you know being mm-hmm. the user ID password, something you have, a, a bank card with a chip on it, for instance. You actually have the chip. You've got identification, uh, access controls. We'll take swipe cards or a combination of a swipe card and a password. Those sorts of things are the, the two factors. And, of course, the third one that's being introduced at various levels, and, again, access controls are, are, are good examples of that, where we're using thumbprints or fingerprints, retinal scans to get past the border. We're using any number of different authentication mechanisms. And that's really trying to identify whether you are you. So is Richard mm-hmm. McCammon attached to that thumb? Is he attached to that retina? And, and, and therefore, I know that it is Richard McCammon. And once I've ident- identified that it's Richard McCammon, what do I allow Richard McCammon to do? Do I, in the healthcare industry, do I let him look at the medical records or do I just let, them, let him to just enter the, de- the details in? So is it a clerical position or am I a physician who needs to have access to all of the medical records in order to, to make my choices? And then with that, authentic- once we've authenticated, we give the authorization to people to do different things with the data that are available to us. Um, and, and it's really quite different in the aspects of what we're doing. Authentication, as I mentioned, we've got the three factors. We've got mechanisms that are in place. We're develop, continuing to develop on those. We're, we're getting better at better at that. Uh, facial recognition programs, all of those sorts of things are coming into the marketplace. The other thing, though, is, is 
the control of where we're going and what we've got and what access we're doing. And, and that can be paramount because now that we've authenticated the individual, how do we actually control what aspects they, of the data they can get to or influence? And those we're not so clear on. We've got the three factors on the authentication, but we're not so clear on how to set up the security rules and how to deploy those. I know in the healthcare industry in Canada, for instance, we're having a big debate about how we take all the medical records, which are now getting electronic, and allowing people access to it. One physician that I go to may have access to some, another physician doesn't, but mm-hmm. does that help my health care? Probably not. I think all of my physicians need to have the, access, the same access to my medical records. But does the, the nurse on the, on, the, uh, uh, on the ward really need access to all of that? One could argue yes, one could argue no. And so the whole debate around uh, authorization, I think, is, is very much in its, its juvenile state. Thank you. Justin Somaney, comment, please, on what our panelists just said. Sure, yeah. No, um, <clears throat> it, it's actually pretty interesting. I think we face multiple problems within identity authentication specifically and authorization. When we talk about identity, what we live with today is, God, I've got a corporate identity, and I probably have 15 personal identities based upon what platform email address I'm using and switched over time. But more importantly, the authentication layer is, has become the main challenge for organizations uh, and individuals globally, because that's effectively what's being compromised by malware, brute force by hackers, guessed when you do your password resets. And uh, I know, Bonnie, you said that you're older than all of us, but quite honestly, I, I would probably push back on that because I'm feeling like uh, I'm starting to see decades of repeated themes. And one of them for me is endpoint security is really, really bad, no matter what mm-hmm. you do. Um, so we have this conversation within, uh, you know, consumer-oriented cloud providers of where the authentication is not derived from what the individual submits, like a password, but really on server-side analytics. What is your browser, your system, or what IP address, at what data time that you're using is becoming more and more, and those algorithms are becoming more and more the main authenticator of that individual versus what that uh endpoint, if you will, is really providing. And this really goes to the compromise of that uh, specific uh, world that we're living in today. Authorization is a very separate thing. I completely agree. We've been dealing with that for many, many years and implementing it, but that's a process problem versus a point-in-time problem. Authentication, I do it, I get introduced to whatever system, um, and then authorization takes effect and to allow me what I have access to. But when I move from organization A to organization B within a company, or my role changes, my function changes, or it's a specific project for a point in time, management of that flow is very, very, very difficult. Um, and that's basically the challenge that a lot of companies are facing on a day-to-day basis, but they are two very different problems. Thank you. Tim Best, love to get you in on this. Agree, disagree, authentication, authorization, everything else we've been talking about. What do you think? Yeah, I think I, I agree with uh, both Justin and, and Richard um, speaking earlier. They, they 
challenges around authentication and authorization um, when you remove people from the equation. So we're talking about trusting the things that are on the internet. The, the challenges just increase there. So you know, how do we put a, a trust model in place when um, you know, it's, not so, it's a machine talking to another machine and making a decision over whether to allow um, access to, to a particular piece of information or, or, or whatever. Um, you know, we need to look at different types of trust. Different trust models need to be in place, um, which um, is a different problem to authorizing, authenticating, authorizing individuals. Thank you, Tim. Justin, I want to move in a new direction. We are about oh, five or six minutes away from our crystal ball predictions round at the end of the show. And I think we might have something here in your notes that would be the answer to the question is what can companies do? We've been talking about it. We've got some ideas. I think we've covered a lot of what's not going right, what's not ready to fight cybercrime. cybercrime. Let's talk about something that is. You say it requires a culture change to truly implement security into a company not in a company, into a company, and I like that phrase, and you can explain that in a minute, you must embed it into the DNA of every employee. It needs to be envisioned as a culture change. Engage your employees face-to-face, quarterly town halls, leverage transparency, start with the security team first. Big ideas, I think they're doable. Justin, what do you observe? Have you lived through this? Have you done this? And what do you suggest companies do to make this a reality? Yeah, absolutely. Uh you know, like I was saying, I'm, I'm feeling my age right now. Um, <laughs> you know, for so many years, we've tried to implement technical solutions or we've tried to implement processes in, in a governance sense. But at the end of the day, there are maybe 70,000, 80,000 employees in a company and your security team is a small subset of that. How do you truly implement security across the company from an individual leaving their laptop on top of their car when they drive away to, uh, mm-hmm. to go home or when somebody sits there and says and has a conversation in an airport about a sensitive business deal or somebody clicking on that link? It really comes back to the individual, and that's not an easy thing. There are probably limitless amounts of articles from HBR and many academics on how culture change is so challenging and difficult to implement. But it must be the conversation that we have in the company in order to drive security all the way through as much as we can and then compensate it with technical controls and process controls. And to do that, quite honestly, I firmly feel to to embed security into the DNA of every employee, you first really need to change the culture of the security team itself. And what I mean by that is if I'm going to get emotional enrollment of employees in the company, I need to have a transparent conversation about the issues and problems that we faced. That means speaking very openly, face-to-face, town halls perhaps, around the compromises and attacks that we see so that they can understand and actually see what it is that we're asking from them as opposed to just pushing down a policy or standard. In addition to that, we need to attach the security message to one that they really care about, most employees in the general sense are not really motivated if you say, hey, the company could invoke financial loss. But if you start talking about the impact of a security failure to that company's customers, those individuals that live and breathe from the products and services that you create, that's a very different story. 
Um, and so to do that, you really start to see a sea of change within the company. And I've used Net Promoter Scores as, an, uh, as a mechanism to identify this culture change, um, whether it's working or not. As you translate the message, have it be transparent, have it be consistent throughout the year, and doing it in ways that's interactive and engaging with employees, it's amazing of what you can see come as a result. Thank you, Justin. Tim Best, love to get your thoughts on this briefly, like uh, less than a minute, and then we will get Richard's thoughts, and then I'm going to circle back to Tim for predictions. So, Tim, thoughts on what Justin added to us? Sure, yeah, I agree with Justin. It, it's um, this, you know, culture change is important, absolutely. Um, how you do that is not through one off training, um, it should be something that is um, sort of formal training has its place, but there should be multiple approaches to um, improving the overall uh, uh, um, awareness of cybersecurity. Um, so multiple touch points through that you engage with employees um, on a regular basis. And it's not just employees, but there's also third parties of so the supply chain, for example. Um, and also I think that it's important for, um, for, for individuals to understand that Cybersecurity, good practice cybersecurity is not about saying no to the business. It's not about um, being the parent and, and stifling innovation and, and research and development. It's about actually enabling the business. It's about saying, yes, but this is the way to do what you want to do securely. Thank you. Richard McCammon, really quick comments on this part, and then we are ready for our predictions round. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, I certainly agree with the, uh, both of the colleagues we've got on the phone. Uh, humans are the weakest link in the entire cybersecurity issue. Uh, I've always likened cybersecurity to, to an onion. Unfortunately, uh, humans have a, a way of slicing through every, every one of those layers in the onion because they leave passwords open. They leave computers on the top of, uh, apparently through experience, on top of cars. And, uh, you know, how many times do we leave our laptops unsecured and, and the, the rest of it? Humans really are the, the weakest link in the entire process. Tim talked a little bit earlier about the computer to computer. We're, we're working out those, and they're easier to work out, but ultimately it comes down to a person who has to install the, the security elements, the, the certificates, the passwords, the, the, the SSL communication, the, all of those things that, that we rely on that are part of the machine-to-machine the, the -machine communication, until we start really introducing AI, are still being done by humans, and we're the weakest links. We are the weakest links indeed, and I'm going to link all the way back to Tim Best. Tim, I can give you, oh my goodness, 60 seconds for predictions. Tim, I love the year 2020. It used to be far away on the horizon, and now it's very near coming up very soon. But you can pick any time in the future. It could be tomorrow, next week, or five, ten years out. What do you see will change about this topic beyond IT, fighting cybercrime at companies? Go ahead. Tim, 60 seconds, predictions, go. Yeah, well, I... I I think 2020 is a good, a good year to, to pick, actually. It's got a certain ring to it. Um, I think that uh, we're going to see um, more and more things. Um, some of those things we can, can't even imagine are going to be connected to the Internet for the future. Um, and I think we're going to see lots of challenges with that. Um, and, but over time, we will start to see a standardization. We will stand, start to see common approaches being applied. We'll start to see a combination of 
good cybersecurity practices, combining with safety practices, and um, I think that it will improve over time. And that right now, it's going to be a challenge for us. Um, but I think through standardisation and, and approaches, common approaches across platforms, um, things will improve. I like the word improve. I'm always a very glass half full type of guy. I, I'm going for the full part. Thank you very much. That's what we're looking for. Richard McCammon at Delego. 60 seconds. Predict for me, please. I think that uh, by the year 2020, at least one event was going to happen that changes the way we think about cybersecurity and the criminal elements of it. I think one of the things that a lot of papers that I've been reading on uh, about cybersecurity and the criminals that are involved are predicting that Corporate espionage is going to be a big element within the cybersecurity world. In other words, corporations will now be the, the criminal because they'll be purchasing the information that, that other criminals have actually gained. And so mm-hmm. what we're going to see is, is, as one article referred to it as, that cybersecurity and the information, the data that it's gleaned from it is going to be the new currency. And we're going to see... Uh, corporations now using that illegal information for what they consider to be legal purposes. Mm, that's kind of scary, innovative but scary. Justin Somani, I'm going to let you wrap up the predictions round. What do you see coming up and how far in the future? One minute, please. Well, well I, there's no question. I, I think the issues and challenges, the choppy waters that we have today are going to continue probably throughout 2020. Um, but what we're going to start to see as we get closer to the end of that is better security implemented in uh, regions that aren't necessarily focused on it primarily as it washes out of the U.S., out of Israel, out of the EU, into other regions around the world, which really allow those local governments to support the takedowns and criminal activity uh, from Interpol or Europol uh, as they beef up their cyber organizations. I think in companies, uh, the maturity uh, of the conversation, which is just now really starting at a board level, of how we relate to security, to revenue, reputation, and the operational impact of a true business will mature. And as a result, it will drive that maturity top down versus bottoms up, which is what we've been having to do over 20 years, to really drive companies to have much better security implemented and culture change within their organizations. Thank you. Good wrap-up. Thank you so much, Tim Best at EY, Richard McCammon at Delego Software, Justin Somani at SAP. So nice to meet you, Justin. I hope you'll come back on a future show. I hope all of you will come back. And now it's time for my predictions. Let's see now. I predict that we have 12 different Game Changers series all on the air, sharing different time slots. But I predict that tomorrow I'll be back at 10 a.m. Eastern with a new edition of Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. You definitely want to hear that one. Thank you and shout out to Justin at World Talk Radio on the Business Channel team. Shout out to Brad Borkin at SAP and Lisa Chalmers for working hard on this edition. And and we have a lot of other people who supported this edition. And thank you for finding Tim Best and Justin Somani for us. And I found Richard McCammon. So there, I think he was skiing somewhere. I called his cell phone and said, Richard, you want to come talk? And he said, sure, I'd love to. And here he is. So it was just that easy. So here's my call to action. And you all know what it is, but do it anyway. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Come on, go out and be a game changer today. We certainly are. Have a good one. Bye-bye. The 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.